me ask you a question. How many of you like the Old Testament? All right, I see a lot of hands going up here. Um, I, I love to read the Old Testament. Um, I, I heard somebody say the other day that a, a fairly well-known preacher had made the statement that they were doing away with the Old Testament. They were, they're just not going to read anything but the New Testament from here on out. And um, that, that kind of bothers me because the fact is, um, the, well, somebody said it this way, and I think it's a good way to put it. The, the, in the Old Testament, you find the New Testament concealed, and in the New Testament, you find the Old Testament revealed. All of it comes together. Somebody said, well, the, Jesus came to do away with the Old Testament. No, he did not. Jesus never said that. Jesus said, I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets. And um, so uh, there's a lot of wonderful, wonderful stories in the Old Testament. I just love to read it. Now, I will admit to you that I read the New Testament twice as much as I do the Old Testament. I mean by that when I'm reading through, and I do this annually, but I'll read the Old Testament through, and while I'm reading the Old Testament, I'm reading the New Testament. I read the same number of chapters, so I'll read the New Testament through twice while I'm getting through the Old Testament once. There are more books in the Old Testament. There are longer chapters in the Old Testament. There's, there's, uh, and, and so, so I, I generally read the, the New Testament twice to every one time I read the Old Testament. But I do love, don't you love the stories like Moses and, and Joshua and Joseph and um, Deborah and Esther? My goodness, Esther was a Persian queen Hadasha, uh, in the language of the day, um, a, a great, great story of how God used a, a woman who was just, just a common, ordinary woman that God just chose with his favor to lift up and save the whole nation of Israel. Wow. Our God does great, great, wonderful, wonderful things. In my message today, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come to it. It'll be a little ways into the message, but I'm going to read you a story from the Old Testament to sort of emphasize or, or maybe to illustrate would be a better term, the message that I have for you today. You know, we're celebrating graduation all over our city and counties and, and in fact, all over the country right now. Celebrations are going on of graduations and so um, I, I want to kind of gear uh, this message as a challenge, hopefully to everybody, but uh, I hope the graduates will get a hold of it uh, in particular. I want to I title this Making a Difference. And my text is found in the first epistle of Peter, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Here's what it says. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Anybody grateful for the mercy of God? Oh, praise the Lord. I thank God daily for his mercies. They're renewed fresh every morning, according to Jeremiah, the great prophet, one of the great prophets in the Old Testament. My text reminds us of who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
that we are the redeemed, that we are the chosen, that we are God's special people. I want you to know this morning that you are special to God. Make sure your neighbor gets that. Just turn to your neighbor and say, you're special to God. You, you really are. And he said it right here, a special, special people. Now, he, he not only calls us all of these good names that I just read, but it, you can just go on and on in Scripture, the good things that God says about us and how he declares who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. But there is a reason why he said we're chosen, that we're special. He wants us to make a difference in the world in which we live. Now, there's, there's a big difference between being different and actually making a difference. In fact, this text that I read to you from 1 Peter, if you read it in the old 1611 King James Version, it says you're a peculiar people. And I know a lot of people that, that, um, that try to fit that peculiar thing instead of, instead of being a chosen people. They really, they really like to emphasize that peculiar. I've, I've seen some peculiar Christians. Have you? Um, I, I may be one of them. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but but uh, he, he's not calling us to be peculiar in the sense that we're oddballs and, and look like we got a, you know, a few screws missing or uh, maybe a, you know, order fries shy of a, of a Happy Meal or, you know, maybe our elevator doesn't go to the top floor but the light's on but nobody's home. You know, you've seen those kind of folks. That's, that's not what he's talking about. When he's talking about peculiar, he's talking about in a sense that is, that is very unique and very special. And that's who God wants us to be. Now, it seems to me, just looking back over my life, um, that each generation sort of has its own um, way of manifesting subcultures. Uh, some of you will recognize some of these. Some of you may, uh, may not recognize all of them. But, but I've lived through the hippies, the yippies, the freebie gypsies, the wagumps, the gothics, and, and on and on and on you can go with titles of, of, of people that kind of look different and strange. They want to be different. Have you seen those kids? They, they just, they want to be different. I can walk on any campus across this country and I can pick out in just a few minutes the kids who want to be different. You know how I can tell who they are? Because they all look the same. <laughs> That's right. Those, those subcultures trying so hard to be different look just like each other. And, and, and you, can, you can pick them out. And they, in fact, the other day at, at, at our staff meeting, I was um, sort of, I, I guess I was reminiscing a little bit. I got to thinking about all those different subcultures, especially back in the hippie days. And the Wagumps came along. And they, they didn't make, a lot of people don't remember the Wagumps because they didn't last that long. And they didn't make that big of an impression nationwide. So a lot of people missed that. But uh, I was fascinated by the Wagumps. They were weird, um, sort of. They, these were young folks that decided to just kind of drop out of society, sort of like the hippies, but in a different way. Um, hippies in the beginning were dirty. You know, they didn't take baths. They let their hair grow. They just, you know, that, that was kind of the, uh, the, the way. All of them ones like that, I understand. But that was kind of the beginning impression that you had of hippies. Well, the Wagumps were different. They were, they were clean. They took baths. They shaved. They, they combed their hair and all of that. But the Wagumps were trying to cleanse their mind of everything. 
that they would they would sit around in groups they would have these group meetings and you'd come to a group meeting of the wagups and if you sat down in a group meeting with the wagups you would sit together for maybe an hour and you would think about nothing now only the male gender thrived in that in that group you you can see why it didn't last. The ladies just couldn't do it. You know, I mean, just, just that's, but that's what they did. They thought about nothing. And you could pick them out in demonstrations because they were the ones that the hippies would carry their signs, you know, for their causes and so forth. The wagumps would carry signs and say things like trigonometry drinks Coca-Cola, uh, railroads through eternity. They were nothing phrases. They, they meant nothing. They were, they were trying to forget everything. Just, you know, get a clean slate for their, for their mind. They, they actually produced a newspaper. Can you believe that? They had over 25,000 people across the nation that subscribed to their newspaper. Their newspaper. You could get it for $2.50 a week. They would send you their newspaper. It was 32 pages that were just blank. People paid. For, who was it that said there's a sucker born every minute? People subscribed to the Wagup newspaper. They got 32 pages of blank sheets so you could look at it and think about nothing. <laughs> nothing. They, they were trying to forget everything. If, if, if I could just speak to the Wagups, I could tell them, if, if you just hang on, nature will take care of that eventually. <laughs> you know, just don't rush don't rush what happens. You, you'll start forgetting someday if you're not careful. You know, that, that can happen to you. But, but there were the wagons, a, a, lot of, a lot of different weird groups. And uh, uh, how many of you remember a little prayer you probably learned as a child? Uh, maybe your parents prayed this with you at night. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep if I should die before I wake. Anybody remember that prayer? Remember that little prayer? I was going through some things in my files the other day, and I found, and, and I made these notes a long, long, long time ago, and you can tell by some of the language, but, uh, but it was that little prayer from different perspectives. One, for example, was a little child who prayed that prayer or something similar, and, and the child said, now lay me down to bed with too much candy I've been fed, and if I die before I wake, I come to thee with stomach ache. And then there was the mission man. He said, here I collapse on mission cot. Please keep your eye on this old sot. And if it's sun up, I ain't not. Please don't send me where it's hot. <laughs> Teenager, and this, this will really date it because teenagers have picked up new phrases since then. They, they've got new words, not these. But in this, when, when this was written, it, teenager prayed to prayer and said, like now I dig this groovy sack preserve me while I'm on my back and take me if I meet my doom where I won't have to clean my room. <laughs> the soldier prayed this prayer and said, now put me in this bunk. Please see me through this army junk. And if tonight I'm private saint, please take me where my sergeant ain't. <laughs> and here's the hippie. Like now I lay me on this pad. Hey, keep your hand on me, big dad. And if I die, this is my prayer. Don't make me work or cut my hair. <laughs> like I said, you, you can pick out these subcultures. They're out there, and every generation seems to have them. And, and, and um, one of the things that seems to kind of be a, a, a consistent 
in these different things is new hair styles. And of course, clothing, the way they dress. When I was a, when I was a boy, crew cuts were in style. And my dad did not like crew cuts because he, he said, you look like a jitterbug. You probably never heard that phrase either. Um, so my dad had longer hair when the young folks had crew cuts. Later on, Elvis came along. And Elvis let his hair grow out. And Elvis had duck tails. And Elvis had long sideburns. Remember that? So when that era came along, my dad got a crew cut. <laughs> you can see how the cultures and the subcultures just kind of battle each other all the time. You know? <laughs> well, in that period of time, and, and it really got long when the hippies, I mean, not the hippies, the uh, Beatles came along. You remember that? Boy, hair really began to grow then. But, but during the Elvis era, I let my hair grow. And I had it slicked back, and I had the duck tails, and I had the sideburns. My mother had gone to the grocery one evening, and my dad was kind of a shade tree barber. A lot of people came to our house to have my daddy to cut their hair because he was a good barber. He barbered during the war, and and, um, and, and so he, he, he didn't run a barber shop or anything. It's just kind of a hobby that he kept up with. He had his tools, and he always cut the pastor's hair free and the pastor's kids and and then several other friends and relatives and so forth. So it, it was not unusual on Friday night that there'd be four or five people lined up to get their hair cut at our house. And while mom was at the grocery store during the Elvis era with my ducktails and sideburns, my daddy got the clippers out and he cut all of my hair. And then he shaved my head. I would have been in style today. I mean... I, it was slick as an onion, boy. I mean, I, I was, I was bald headed. My mother came home and saw me and cried. She made me wear a cap everywhere I went with her for a long time until my hair grew out. But uh, Dad wasn't going to have that Elvis look at his house. <laughs> I, I, I remember uh, I came home from from work here several years ago when we were still on Crawford Avenue and one of my kids had been to the barber shop without me and when he got home he had lightning Z's <laughs> shaved into the side of his head both sides I mean he looked like something from outer space and I was just about to blow a fuse and my wife pulled me aside and she said Think about it. It'll grow back out. Is this a hill you want to die on? You know, he's he just trying to be, I guess, get some attention or something. And so she helped me through that because my tendency would have been to have been like my daddy, you know. And um, so I, I've kind of learned through the years not to get all that upset about weird hairdos or even strange clothing because... You know, the fact is that many times kids who have this drive to be different, if you can somehow harness that and get it directed in a positive way, they can really make a difference in the world. Amen? Think of the great inventor. Just think about the Wright brothers. They thought they could fly. 
of all the dumb things in their day. But look where we are now with aviation because a couple of kids decided to be different. They got out there on the hill, put together some kind of contraption and got in it and it flew. And so here we are today. Henry Ford said, why should we have to ride horses the rest of our lives? And he came up not only with an automobile, but he came up with the idea of the assembly line, which made it where you could build cars affordable for, for the average American. And it revolutionized our whole nation. Think about Thomas Edison, and the list could go on and on and on. So the real question today is, are you just being different or are you making a difference? And my text declares that our Heavenly Father wants us to be different, but for a specific purpose. And that is so we can make a difference in the world in which we live. I want to go to the Old Testament. I, I, I said a while ago, I, I love the Old Testament stories. And, and um, this is a, a story in the Old Testament that I could preach, but I think it preaches itself, especially when you read it from the message and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the whole story to you. I'm going to read a whole chapter, and it's a long chapter, so I hope you'll follow along with me. It's found in Daniel chapter 3 of your Old Testament, and um, here it is. King Nebuchadnezzar built a gold statue, 90 feet high, 9 feet thick. He set it up on Dura Plain in the province of Babylon. By the way, that's where Iraq is today. He then ordered all the important leaders in the province, everyone who was anyone, to the dedication ceremony of the statue. They all came for the dedication, all the important people, and they took their places before the statue that Nebuchadnezzar had erected. By the way, that statue was a statue of himself. How many of you remember when they pulled down the statue <laughs> in that same place? of another leader a few years ago. Remember that? Okay, same place. A herald then proclaimed in a loud voice, attention everyone, every race, color, and creed, listen. When you hear the band strike up, all the trumpets and trombones, the tubas, the baritones, the drums and cymbals, fall to your knees and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Anyone who does not kneel and worship shall be thrown immediately into a roaring furnace. The band started to play. Huge band equipped with all the musical instruments of Babylon and everyone, every race, color, and creed fell to their knees and worshiped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Just then, some of the Babylonian fortune tellers stepped up and accused the Jews they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. You gave strict orders, O king, that when the big band started playing, everyone had to fall to their knees and worship the gold statue. And whoever did not go to their knees and worship it had to be pitched into a roaring furnace. Well, there's some Jews here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you placed in high positions in the province of Babylon. These men are ignoring you, O king. They don't respect your gods, and they won't worship the gold statue that you set up. Furious, King Nebuchadnezzar ordered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be brought in. When the men were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar asked, Is it true, 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you don't respect my gods and refuse to worship the gold statue that I have set up? I'm giving you a second chance, but from now on, when the big band strikes up, you must go to your knees and worship the statue I have made. If you don't worship it, you'll be pitched into a roaring furnace. No questions asked. And who is the God who can rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered King Nebuchadnezzar, Your threats mean nothing to us. If you throw us in the fire, the God we serve can rescue us from the roaring furnace and anything else you might cook up, O king. But even if he doesn't, it wouldn't make a bit of difference, O king. We still wouldn't serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. Nebuchadnezzar, his face purple with anger, cut off Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace fired up seven times hotter than usual. He ordered some strong men from the army to tie them up, hands and feet, and throw them into the roaring furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, bound hand and foot, fully dressed from head to toe, were pitched into the roaring fire. Because the king was in such a hurry and the furnace was so hot, flames from the furnace killed the men who carried Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to it. While the fire raged around Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, suddenly King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm and said, Didn't we throw three men bound hand and foot into the fire? That's right, O king, they said. But look, he said. I see four men walking around freely in the fire, completely unharmed. The fourth man looks like the son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar went to the door of the roaring furnace and he called in, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the high God, come out here. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego walked out of the fire. All the important people, the government leaders, the king's counselors gathered around to examine them and discovered that the fire hadn't so much as touched the three men. Not a hair singed, not a scorch mark on their clothes, not even the smell of fire on them. Nebuchadnezzar said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted in him. They ignored the king's order and laid their bodies on the line rather than serve or worship any god but their own. Therefore... I issue this decree. Anyone, anywhere of any race, color, or creed who says anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be ripped to pieces, limb from limb, and their houses torn down. There has never been a God who can pull off a rescue like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the providence of Babylon. Wow, what a story! And the beautiful thing about it is it's true. That's what God did for three men who had enough backbone and enough commitment and enough discernment to know the will of God and enough commitment to stand true to their God no matter what the threat against their lives was. Praise God. How many of you are glad for a young man that will stand up and serve God like that? Give God praise. He's worthy. Amen. Amen. Well, a beautiful story. The point is simply this. They weren't just different. They made a difference. I want to give you six things in closing this morning that will help you make a difference. 
Number one, find a cause that's worth living for. Number two, find a cause that's worth dying for. And number three, commit to that cause. Let let me just go over these three before we go on because the other three deal with your personal life. Find a cause that's worth living for. Find a cause that's worth dying for and then commit to that cause. And can I tell you this morning, there is no greater cause than the one our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ brought to us when he came and gave us his life and then gave to those who would follow him the great commission. If we would follow that, I don't know of a greater cause anywhere in all of this world. Amen? Praise God. Now, this deals with your personal life. Love God with all your heart. That'll take care of your eternity. By the way, folks, this life is, this is not all there is to it. This life's short. It goes by in a hurry. And it just picks up speed the older you get. It just goes faster and faster. And, and, and one writer said it doesn't matter how many years you have. There's still few when you consider eternity. So if you'll love the Lord with all your heart, if you'll just fall in love with the person of the Lord, not just the house of God. I'm glad you're here this morning. I love for you to be in the house. But I want you to have a personal relationship with the Father. I've heard people say that the, that the prodigal son returned to his father's house. No, he didn't. The prodigal son, read it carefully, Luke 15, the prodigal son returned to his father. Amen? In fact, everybody in the house wasn't even happy he came home. Did you know that? He had a brother that was pretty put out with him. You, you may get disappointed in the house. And, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm certain, I think we ought to come to church. I believe the scripture tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. But listen, more important than anything in the world is your personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, our, our heavenly father. You need to know him as your father, not just the father's house, but the father. Know the father. Amen. Know the Lord. So if you'll fall in love with the Lord, if you'll love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength as Jesus told us to, that'll take care of your eternity. Then love your neighbor as yourself. That'll assure you a good life here. In fact, the Lord Jesus said, when you sum it all up, the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, everything put together, you can sum it up in these two things right here. Love the Lord with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you get this right and this right, If you get those relationships right, you're going to have a good life. You're going to have a good life. And I don't mean that you're not going to have any trouble or any difficulty. I'm not trying to sell you a bill of goods that's unreasonable. We all face things and deal with things. But but I'm here to tell you, you'll have a better life if you'll love your neighbors yourself. You just will. You, You treat people right. After a while, you'll start reaping what you sow. Amen? And then finally, live by God's standard. If you live by the standard that God has set for us in his word, you will live a life that is free. The Bible said, he that the son sets free is free indeed. If you want to be free from bondage, if you want to be free from addictions, if you want to be free from from guilt and shame, if you want to be free from everything that torments, then then live by God's standard. 
Some people think that living the Christian life is a hard life. No, 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 no. The way of the transgressor is hard. If you want to know who's having a hard life today, look around you and find those people that are trying to go contrary to God's word. Those are the people who are having a hard life. God gave us his word because he knows what makes life better and worth living. And so if you want to stay free, live by God's standards. Let me ask you this. Are you making a difference? Especially to all you young people today, I want to challenge you to set your, set your goals in life to do something that makes a difference. I heard the other day about a grandmother that was teaching her grandson uh, how life works. And, and she was trying to find a way to, to explain some things to him, especially being careful with money and knowing how to invest, planning for the future and all that stuff. So she had this brilliant idea. She pulled down the Monopoly game and she got it out and she taught her little grandson how to play Monopoly. And uh, at first, he was just intrigued with that money, you know, that play money. And of course, she was buying the railroads. And she was buying the hotels. <laughs> she was buying the park place and boardwalk. And she just kept buying. She bought up everything on the board. And it wasn't long till he was losing everything. She wiped him out in just a few minutes. And she, the, the point she was trying to get across to him is, son, you've got to plan you need to make some investments. You need to look to the future. And he finally told her, he said, uh, I think I got it. I think I got it, Grandma. I think I got it. I got the lesson in life. She said, wait a minute, you don't have it all. She said, there's one more lesson that you need to get with the Monopoly game. At the end, it all goes back in the box. And that's the way it is with life. In the end, I, I think we ought to be conscientious. I think we ought to, I think we ought to be careful. I think the scripture teaches us to, you know, to, to take care of our family the best that God blesses us to be able to do and to prepare for the future. And, and there's some Proverbs where, uh, where the wise men compared well, like the ant that prepares its food for the future and, uh, and uses several things from nature to give that instruction. But at the end, don't forget this, at the end, it's all going in a box. It's all going in a box. They, they're going to put you in a box. And so what are you going to be remembered by? Will you have made a difference? Because you're going to leave all this stuff behind I've preached literally hundreds of funerals in my lifetime. And I have yet to, to see a U-Haul behind a hearse. You're just not going to take it with you. You're not going to take it with you. But you can send it ahead. Did you know that? Jesus said you could lay up treasures in heaven where the rust won't bother it. The moth won't get to it. Nothing will corrupt it. You can lay up some treasures. So are you making a difference? Stand with me, please. We're going to pray, and I'm going to invite the prayer team to come on down and 
be prepared to pray for you. But years ago, <clears throat> years ago, there, w- there was a young lady that was attending Bob Shuler's church in California. And she had a burden for missions. And she really got a burden for Mexico. I'm sure that that burden was from the Lord. God was calling her to, to Mexico. And, and she became a missionary, in fact, to Mexico. And God blessed her. She won a lot of people to the Lord. But she so fell in love and was so determined to make a difference in the lives of Mexicans that, that she just always talked about how much she loved them. In fact, she, she had this kind of little unique thing that she did. Anytime she would see the word love in the Bible, she would add to it the Mexicans because that's where her heart was. For example... In Romans, uh, I'm sorry, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you know, the love chapter of the Bible, um, she, she would add it. Um, like, for example, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love for the Mexicans, <laughs> I'm a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. That, that's the way. And, and, of course, they picked up on it, how much she loved them. She lived her life there, and, and then she succumbed to a, to a disease that took her life. Her converts were gathered around her bed before she died, and she'd been unconscious for a while, and then suddenly she regained consciousness long enough to tell them all goodbye and tell them once again how much she loved them. But she said this before she died. She said, listen, I want to I give you this instruction. At my funeral, please don't send any flowers. Don't spend your money on flowers. At my funeral, instead of bringing flowers, you tell everybody what I want them to do is bring a Spanish Bible to my funeral. And at her funeral, Spanish Bibles were stacked all around her casket and all across the platform. And after she was buried, her converts took those Bibles And they won multitudes of Mexicans to Jesus with the Word of God. She found a simple way to make a difference. Folks, it's not always the, 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 you know, the great spectacular. Sometimes it's just that little something that the Holy Spirit will prompt you that will make a difference in somebody's life. That little idea bring Bibles, not flowers, one multitudes to the Lord. Are you just being different or are you making a difference? We're going to pray. I'm going to invite you to come. The altars are open. There are people here that will be glad to pray with you and for you if you have a need of any kind. And they'll join their faith with you and just believe God to minister to you as only he can. If you're unsaved, I'd invite you to come and give your heart to Jesus today. If you're away from the Lord, you're not sure that you're ready to meet him. Come and make sure today. And I want to speak to those of you that are standing here. You say, you know, I've just been kind of just going along and really not thinking about what kind of legacy I'm leaving behind. I'd like to make a difference. And you'd like to come this morning and just ask the Holy Spirit to prompt you and direct you in your life so that you will be remembered. I conclude with this question. They're going to put it on the screen. When I'm gone, when I'm gone, 
what will folks remember? When I'm gone, what will folks remember? Let's pray. The altar's open. If you'd like to come, somebody pray with you. If you're sick in body, if you have a financial need, a a relational need, a, a job, whatever you need. Or if you just want to come and find a place and pray, just you and God. God bless you as you pray.